Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hello, I'm Arvind Hickman and welcome to the PR Weekly. In this episode, we're going to discuss the Olympics and some of the campaigns that are catching the eye, whether the PR industry should ditch the pitch and the biggest looming challenge facing PR, COVID and the so-called pandemic. Today, I'm joined by W Communications CEO Rachel Friend, Publicist UK's CEO of Influencer Chris McCafferty and Ready10 Director Amy Jacobs. Welcome to you all. Thank you. Thanks, Robin. Hi, thanks for having us. Great. Well, to begin with, um, I want to discuss one of the biggest challenges facing the industry and I guess the wider economy. Um, in recent weeks, COVID cases have been high, rising well before and after Boris Johnson's so-called Freedom Day. Um, and although the majority of adults are now double vaxxed, there's no doubt that the Delta variant is running right through the UK. Further exacerbating the problem um, for businesses is the NHS's test and trace system which pings people to self-isolate if they've been in contact with known COVID cases, irrespective of whether they test positive or not. Now, you might recall this week, PR Week's editor-in-chief, Danny Rogers, spoke to several agency bosses and has described this as a looming crisis, while um, one agency leader, Ready10 founder David Fraser, warned that his agency would ignore the government's advice on isolating staff. Amy, David is obviously your colleague and boss. Can you give us an idea of just how bad the situation has become at Ready10 for him to make such a bold and public call? Look, you know, everybody is struggling in different ways. Um, you know, I would be lying if I said that we weren't amongst them. It, the last month has been harder for us than I think at any other point of the pandemic. We, as I speak to you, we have about a quarter of the agency off with, with COVID. And many of those are, if not double jabbed, definitely have had their first vaccine. Um, and, and the rest are in this pandemic problem that you talked about, where they've either got to isolate because they've been in close contact with somebody or the app is telling them that they have to have to isolate. In terms of COVID versus um, pandemic, how many would you say are, on, um, are out due to COVID and how many are self-isolating due to the test and trace? I think at the moment it's probably fairly equal. Okay. 
Yeah, you, you know, we're, we're definitely feeling it for sure, uh, and it, it's put us in this position where the whole time along, like like a lot of other people, we our messaging to the team has always been that we are going to adhere to government advice and um, take the guidelines on board, do the right thing, uh, and be smart and be sensible. And then all of a sudden, Freedom Day arrives on the nineteenth of July, and it felt absolutely like the wrong thing to be doing you know mm. it, it was it's really the first time that we as a senior team sat down and said we've got to ignore this firstly it's not the right reason because you know the duty of care and responsibility that we feel to keep everybody safe is is definitely hitting us really hard at the moment and we have to take that really seriously um and then you know you touched before on on danny's article i mean from a mental health point of view as well as a physical health uh, point of view you know really got to think about it because for a lot of people they are desperately trying to avoid being pinged or, or getting told they've got to isolate and missing out on holidays that perhaps they've got booked even if it's just in the UK um, you know people who have been looking forward to these holidays for a long time in desperate need of them and you mm -hmm. know we want them to have them they need them so you know with all of that in mind I think that's why David came out and said what he did because it just felt wrong Okay, I'm going to come to the impacts of, of this in a moment, but I just wanted to ask Chris, what is the situation like at publicist PR agencies, MSL and Taylor Herring? Look, we are actually not seeing quite the same impact as Amy's described, if I'm honest, and that might just simply be good luck at this, at this uh, point of the pandemic. But like Amy, we've taken a very cautious approach to uh, Freedom Day. I mean, Freedom Day is utter nonsense, right? And I think most businesses are taking quite a cautious approach to um, to the return to the office. So we, we're still, I'm, I'm sat in Publicis Group HQ right now. We're uh, still distanced at two meters. We're still wearing masks all around the common areas of the office. Um, and unmasked at desk because we've got two meter distancing at desk. So we, we'll continue to uh, take that approach probably up until September, and then we'll review it again, and we'll look at what the evidence is then, and we'll we'll, we'll keep, you know, uh, trying to stay as much as we can one step ahead. Okay, Rachel, what's the situation over at W like? We've been in hybrid for a number of months now. So that's um, yeah, it's been really important for our teams to be able to actually come in and see each other. So we've been having teams coming in on a sort of three-day-a-week basis. And um, just like um, Chris and Amy, Freedom Day felt odd. I think it was something that people had really been looking forward to. And then in the sort of the closing two weeks before it, the situation obviously just changed. Um, and so not only have we kept our hybrid working, but we were actually due to have our agency summer party on the Thursday, okay. which we then postponed. Yep. Um, because, you know, because the situation had changed and we'd obviously booked it um, quite a long way in advance thinking, actually, we, we'd booked it before Freedom Day got pushed back, mm. um, thinking that's going to be a safe time, isn't it? So, yeah. um, and it obviously wasn't. Um, and I guess we had we had quite a lot of people isolating already. And then we just didn't want to put the rest of the agency at risk of being pinged and told to isolate. And just like you, Amy, we're being understanding with people, you know, People have been looking forward to holidays. They have been looking forward to weddings and they just don't want to get pinged. So, um, you know, our, our situation, it's its not dire at all. Uh, we have had a few cases in this last, if it's called a wave, I'm not sure it is. Um, I personally, uh, my daughter tested positive 10 days ago. And just as we came out of isolation, my husband tested positive. So I'm in isolation too at the okay. moment. Um, so, I, you know, oh, crikey. So I'm feeling it probably, you know, just as much as everybody else. Um, 
um, I think the, the good news is, and I hope Amy, your colleagues and Chris, yours too, if they are being affected, it does feel like a heavy cold. Um, so it's it's not as scary as it has been before. And that's for people who have been either single or double jabbed. So what we want to do is just make sure that we continue to create a safe space for people to come and work in. Um, and just like you, Chris, you know, we're, we're keeping the, the rules that we've had previously. So, you know, temperature checks as people come in. Uh, masks on until you get to your desks and then when you get to your desks you know you can carry on working our, our duty of care as you said Amy is to create a safe space for people to come and work in but there's got to be a balance between everybody isolating at home and people really needing human interaction and coming into the office and whenever we talk to our staff it's trying to get that balance right in a safe environment that's the key yeah, I mean, we, we've even been impacted in our team at PR Week. Um, our esteemed editor, John Harrington, has very recently caught um, COVID, even though he's double vaxxed. Um, oh, and no. hopefully he, he, he's recovering um, and will be well very soon. But it's definitely something that you're hearing a lot more about, I feel, this time, um, people that you know um, than probably in previous times. I'm just wondering, how does staff feel about this? Have you, have you sort of done any still staff sentiment work, um, gauging whether they feel safe coming into work or not? Has that sort of shifted? Or, or what's the situation like when you speak to, to your employees? Chris, I'll start off with you. So Arvind, I mean, we, I'll give you two points of view on that. So we have done some um, surveying of our staff and our feedback is that when people come to the office, they do feel safe. And I think that's a reflection of the work that we've done, you know, much like Rachel and Amy, we've got temperature checks, we've got checking into desks so we can do contact tracing if we need to. Uh, we've got the distancing and so on that I've already mentioned. So uh, we're seeing confidence in the office environment when, when people are in. But that is, I think, slightly self-selecting because there is a cohort of people who are happy to come in and therefore are. And there is a cohort in the agency that we haven't seen for a while because they have very natural concerns about travel or about specific, you know, isolation requirements, etc. that they might have in their family. So we have to be a little careful of, of that data to one point. I will give you one other data point, though, from Kex CNC's COVID tracker. So Kex is the... Um, Public Affairs Corporate Reputation Agency within Publicis Group, and they've been tracking uh, the general public's response to COVID uh, throughout the start. And the latest data from their COVID tracker says that two thirds of people would prefer to spend more time in the office than at home. And actually, I was quite surprised by that. But you know, two thirds of, of the the general public—that's a nationally representative sample—and actually, people wanting full time home working is genuinely quite a niche. Uh, audience. So it's just quite interesting to see that national picture as well as the specifics for us here. I mean, I, I think it, it was it Rachel or, or you, Amy, that made an interesting point before at managing people's mental health. You know, we've been in lockdown now for such a long period of time and there is a real balance to be struck between allowing people to come in and interact and have that social um, network that they, they, they previously had and, and yearned for and managing people's health. Amy, do you, do you sort of um, have a sense for what it's like with your employees at, at Ready10? Have they sort of spoken to you? Has that shifted at all in terms of how they feel about coming in? Yeah, I think it has, to be honest. I think, and I can talk personally, you know, April, May, June, I would say I was in the office two or three times a week. Uh, I really needed it. My own kind of mental health. I've returned to work after maternity leave, my first child during a pandemic. None of that was particularly easy. Um, you know, as I started to go back into the office, I felt pieces of me returning and I, I really massively needed it. 
Um, I think we have just seen a significant drop off in in recent weeks, really the last month, um, which I think is obviously a you know a reaction to the fact that we've had so many staff sick and isolating. But just the bookings of desks are down. I think the office is the quietest it has been over the last fortnight um, than than it has been in a long time. Um, and, and a lot of that is people are on holiday as well. It's that time of year. Um, but I think there is a natural drop off at the moment with people kind of not wanting to be in mental health wise. Uh, you know, I think we we're just really aware of it. And we're trying to stay ahead of it before um, there are any kind of major issues. So doing things like, you know, we've doubled our, our mental health offering, you know, our, our medical plan has been kind of revamped and released to the team uh, you know we're still working with head office our, our team of are working with yours you know in terms of putting together the charter for the industry and That's it's right. just something we just take really really seriously and I think you have to um, but I think there's definitely two strands to what's going on and one is physical health absolutely um, you know and the other the other is mental um, so we're just we're trying to stay ahead of ahead of it preemptively the best we can. Okay, Rachel, how is W sort of managing this 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 crisis? I guess if you like, maybe crisis is a bit of a strong word, but how are you sort of managing it? And and what I guess more importantly, what more would you like from the government or or other authorities to help you manage this a bit better? Good question. Um, uh, so, um, is it a crisis? I'm not. I worry that we are going to talk this up. Mm-hmm we are going through a bit of a, the next phase of what COVID is, right? And we are learning to adapt to that and live with that, okay? And I, I honestly think the greatest fear that people have got is less about, am I going to get it? Because there are some cases, okay? But there aren't as many cases as there used to be. And it's certainly not as severe as it was. I actually think the fear is being pinged and having to isolate. I think it's driving everybody mad me included, um, from personal experience. Um, <laughs> so I just think there's some balance in here that we need to be thinking about. Um, what more would I like from the government? If I'm honest with you, I think I'd like less from the government. Um, I think that this might be the start of us actually taking um, decisions for ourselves. And I think that's possibly a good thing. It's been unbelievably uh, draconian in terms of the rules since January. Uh, you know, we, we obviously had lockdown one and two, but, it, you know, finally, we can actually make some decisions for ourselves. And I actually think that's the right thing to do. We are smart, grown up people. It's great to have some guidance. Um, and I love guidance because that, that gives us some guardrails. But um, we are independent thinkers and um, I cherish that. Well, that will certainly be music, music to the ears of um, Health Secretary Sajid Javid, who's pretty much said that it's it's now time for people to take back control of their lives and make decisions for themselves. Chris, do you agree with that? Do, do you think it is now time for more personal responsibility or would you still like to see more government guidance or, or help? Um, as ever, it's an element of both. So I certainly wouldn't put it under the take back control banner, given the history of that soundbite. So um, I'm not sure that's the right message to be going out with. But it's it's fascinating for us in this industry that um, the fundamental issue that we have at the moment is a communications issue, right? Because there are no credible spokespeople from the government who are able to talk with confidence and inspire belief in the audience that they are telling it straight and that they are accurate and that they are on top of the problem. Now, that may or may not be a, a, a correct perception from the audience, but that lack of a credible spokesperson, be it Sajid Javid, who has, of course, inherited, if you like, the shadow cast by Matt Hancock, or be it our Prime Minister himself, who clearly has certain challenges in this space, I think that is a real issue. And, you know, what 
public policy needs to do is provide clarity. Then what the individuals need to do is interpret that and, and allow us to all act as adults within that framework. But public policy doesn't do nuance very, very well. Uh, it's impossible to anticipate all of the nuance that all of us face as individuals in this pandemic. So there has to be clarity at that top level. And I'm really genuinely very worried that there is a complete vacuum of credibility from this government at the moment. Okay. Well, let's move on to pitching, everyone's favourite topic. Um, should we ditch the pitch? Uh, last week, Glimpse Creative Director Zach Schwartz wrote a piece in PR Week urging the industry to ditch the pitch. I'm sure he's not alone in wanting away with a selection process that many describe as clunky, time in and resource intensive, and sometimes cynical. Um, Zach argued that agencies could better spend their time thinking about big picture ideas that could be a force for good, when most agencies on a pitching shortlist essentially put in a lot of work for no gain. He reckons brands should also contribute to the cost of pitching, and agency partners could donate pitching time for better causes. Another gripe, which I know many in this industry share, is when procurement calls a pitch to essentially cut costs. Now, Mischief's Greg Jones has countered the article by saying there is value in pitching. It helps develop skills, build morale, and winning is fun. Rachel, let's talk hypothetically here. Surely Zach has some good points about whether the pitching process has become a bit unwieldy, costly, and could be better spent elsewhere. What, what are your thoughts? Oh, my goodness me. A world without pitching? I don't like that world. Um, I, I was, I, I think you you know, I've been, I was a client for a little while and I just think it's, it is still possibly the best way for a client to get, go out into the marketplace and see what the very best of the very best agencies can come up with to help them to make a really informed choice about, you know, which agencies they want to work with. I think it puts agencies at their very best. Um, we all know that we've worked, we work really hard and really smart in a pitch. Um, and I think it's fantastic training for our teams. Um, it brings variety to the day job. If you're somebody um, who, this doesn't happen in our agents very often, but if you're somebody who's been stuck on a client for three years and <laughs> it's quite a narrow tunnel that you're working on, actually going, working on a pitch, you know, you, you're, you're thrown together with other people. It's, it's like fast track training. It's fantastic. I would also say it is absolutely our choice to respond to a pitch. So as an, as an agency side, you know, certainly we, we do this at our agency. We tend to try and only respond to those pitches that we actually truly believe we've got a chance of winning. And, you know, through the pitch process, I mean, I, I, also, I also find this fascinating. You know, it, it's really important that clients allow agencies to build a relationship with them through the process. Again, having been a client, it was those agencies that I spent time with ahead of the pitch where I was tissuing and getting to know their teams a little bit better that I was the most excited to hear from. And you've got to remember that a client in the end, at the end of the day, has to, generally has to buy one of those agencies off the shelf, right? So it, like, there's high pressure on the client side, there's high pressure on the agency side. So the more that we can do to build the relationships with people through the process, the better. Yep, I can see Chris nodding furiously in agreement. Um, Chris, surely though, the, the process itself, I mean, th there are ways that it could be improved. Uh, we hear about some horror stories with pitching about in terms of how long it takes, in terms of how many agencies in the shortlist, in terms of how little time they have to prepare for it. What are some of the changes that you think could be made to the current process to improve it? The biggest thing for me, Arvin, would, would be transparency. So I'm, I'm with Rachel. I'm a huge fan of pitching. I love it personally. I love the theatre and the performance of it. And I know that lots of people in the agency thrive on it. And I think it's where, you know, very briefly, the advantage of a pitch can be both the client and agency 
it's when strategy and creative can be explored without limit. And that's a very useful thing. And that's a very, very useful thing for the client. And like uh, Rachel, I've spent some time in-house as well. And that, those pitch moments are real luxurious moments where you get. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems. But getting therapy has its own problems too. Like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. To see new thinking and new ideas. So but my, my biggest thing to come back to your question is transparency. So bad pitches when there is a lack of a clear brief, there's a lack of a clear budget, there's a lack of a clear pitch list, creates desperate inefficiency. And to Rachel's point, every agency, Amy will be the same, we qualify the pitches that we do, but we can only qualify based on the uh, information that we receive. So if we're not receiving the right information, it's much harder for us to make an informed commercial decision whether to invest that time or not. So I would love to see greater transparency um, and the clients be more forthcoming with that. I, we, we were just met with a, we're, we're going through a particular pitch process at the moment and the client was talking about another pitch where, where they had, honestly, they had a favoured agency and they told the other agencies that were on the list that we have this established relationship with this agency, here's the opportunity, would you like to continue? And I just thought that was really refreshing. Um, and actually that preferred agency did end up winning and one of the other agencies dropped out of the pitch. Okay, Amy, I'm taking a guess that Ready10 are also fans of pitching, but surely there must be things that you think could improve the process for both agency and clients. Yeah, um, we are. We are definitely fans of pitching. Uh, a bit like Chris, personally, it's my absolute favourite thing. I'd pitch every day of the week if I could, um, and I do. I lead a lot of our, a lot of our pitches. Um, and, and similarly to the, the others, you know, we do have this qualifying process. I think that's the best thing that you can do to save time is to just really kind of legitimize the lead. But actually, you know, we, we have seen a bit of a, a shift, I would say. I think but look, both Zach and, and Greg make really good points. Um, and I think there's pitching and then there's procurement pitching, which I think is a different beast, which I'll kind of touch upon in a minute. But I think in the past, one big thing is, finding out how many other people are pitching. I think the pitches that are six, eight agencies all responding is a bit ridiculous. And I, I think we've seen that tighten up over time. I think the last year or two, we're certainly taking part in much smaller pitch um, processes where there's maybe two, three, four at the most other agencies involved. I think that feels fairer and more appropriate. Um, and I think we are also seeing an increase in people who are not bothering so much with project pitches. They're quite happy to go based on chemistry and gut feel and give you a project to try. 
uh, and to see how you get on. And if you blow it away, then there's kind of retainer conversations and or perhaps bigger pitch processes then taking place, which I think has been quite refreshing. Um, and actually, we we um, I think twice in the past three or four months, I think probably within three the last three months, uh, I've actually been been paid twice to take part in pitch processes. Once it it was offered, which was great, and once we actually asked, um, and it was it was kind of agreed as a development thing, and uh, and I think that's been really refreshing and kind of having the balls to ask when it's appropriate to do so, and when you feel that you've got a leg to stand on. I think a part of Chris's transparency conversation that all that all plays in, and I think it's really interesting to hear what what Rachel was saying. Having been on the other side of it, I've never been never been a client. I've always been agency side, but actually, I think that is one of our strengths as an agency is getting to know the client well enough, understanding, building that relationship and that rapport before you walk into the room. I like to believe that we walk into the room with it ours to lose rather than walking into the room trying to prove ourselves to win. Um, and I think a lot of that just comes from the work that you have to put in both on, on both sides, client side as well, uh, the respect that's required for that process. I think procurement pitching, which I think Zach speaks very eloquently about, I think is a totally different is a different beast. And I think that can feel really demoralizing when you are going into a pitch process with people in the room who have a score sheet or a checklist that they are literally looking to tick you against, both from financial, but also creativity, perhaps, where they don't really uh, necessarily understand that realm so well. Um, and I think that can take away learning opportunities from the team. Pitches are a huge opportunity to learn, win or lose. Yeah, I, I want to bring Rachel into this because Rachel obviously has that, that client perspective and she probably has some interesting interesting views on procurement pitches as well. What, what are your thoughts, Rachel? Yeah, so Amy, I, I hear what you're saying. I think when procurement pitches are done well, they're done really well. And I would I would just like to, I, I think sometimes procurement come in for a little bit of a bashing. I'm going to say to you that we did a procurement-led pitch back in the last year, early this year, and it was possibly one of the best things that we've gone through because the person in procurement was totally on point. So, I mean, goodness me, it was a long process. But, um, you know, did we ask for tissue? Yes. Did we ask for more information? Yes. Was she, was she constantly giving that uh, uh, us that information? Yes. She, I, I couldn't fault her. So, so it got us right the way to pitch. The client was really excited about us walking into the Zoom room. Uh, we were really excited to be there and we felt that we knew what was, you know, what was to be expected. And then actually the whole negotiation process was also superb. She was so professional, really helped us so that we all felt like we'd won by the end of it. So that's what I'll say. I think, you know, the worst thing to hear is a client saying to you, oh, we've got a pitch, it's a procurement-led pitch. That sounds dreadful, and it sounds like they don't want to go through it. And to your point, Chris, they probably don't want to change agency anyway if they're saying that to you. Oh, it, it's the excuse of it's a procurement-led pitch, right? But if it's properly a procurement-led pitch with a brilliant procurement person at the heart of it, I, I think they can be absolutely brilliant. Not hugely my experience. Um, we we won a, a big procurement-led pitch uh, just, just, uh, just before Christmas. And it, it was an interesting process, but I felt very much like we were pitching to the checklist. And although we were lucky enough to win the process, which was great, there was a lot of, um, oh, we can't answer that question now, sorry, because the, the, the time for questions has ended. Or um, actually, I can't pick up the phone and, and answer your call, Amy, because somebody else hasn't had that opportunity to give me a call and I haven't got time. And there was a lot of kind of computer says no. And when we won it, 
I must admit, and now perhaps this is my ego, but that moment of, of, oh, we've won, didn't really feel there because you were so part of the journey in so many ways that actually that kind of big rewarding moment at the end didn't feel like it it had come. But I I look forward to a procurement process where I get the experience that you've described. (laughs) Chris, any final words? Yeah, I'm I'm more in the Rachel camp, I've got to be honest. I make it my business to uh, be friendly with procurement and I find procurement can be tremendously uh, helpful in the bigger pitch processes and the scorecards and so on are actually a really important mechanic for for you know, for internal organizations that are usually pretty complex. So I do recognize some of the frustrations and the computer says no piece is also frustrating. Um, I will say that there's usually a way around it, right, which we all quite enjoy finding a way around those barriers. Uh, and that won't be unique to, to us. That will be for all of us on, on the on the chat. But yeah, I, I, I don't mind a procurement pitch. I think it provides clarity usually. And even if it provides clarity with barriers, at least those barriers are consistent across all of those agencies. So in one sense, you have the transparency that we talked about earlier. Fantastic. Well, it sounds like we're not going to ditch the pitch anytime soon, but um, transparency is obviously an important part of the process. Right, let's move along. Finally, I want to talk about the Olympics. Um, I have to confess, I absolutely love the Olympics. And if you're wondering why I sound a wee bit tired or I'm stumbling on my words every now and again, it was because I was up to ungodly hours of the morning watching the Aussie Gold Rush. And boy, wasn't it special. Rachel, I know you love the Olympics too. What has been the highlight of the Games for you so far? So as previously mentioned, my house, we're in isolation. So the Olympics are on wall to wall. It is keeping us company. Um, so whilst I'm sitting here beavering away through the day, the rest of the family are watching it. Um, I just think it brings joy. Uh, I've, you, you can't ever get, uh, I think you can't ever get bored of the Olympics. I'm now an expert in Taekwondo. I didn't know I would be that. I watched the mountain biking yesterday. I thought it was amazing. I just think you get these heroes, heroes coming from nowhere. I'm sure you watched the swimming where we won gold and silver and people weren't even watching the guy who was going to come in and win the silver like it's just the you know there are expected uh, heroes but then the unexpected heroes I think are amazing um so I know there's been lots of talk of you know uh there's no crowds there it must be devastating for them not to have their families there I think it was really interesting when the when they were all, all the athletes were told they have to leave within 48 hours of winning their medals I think they can't wait to come home and share that that experience with their families so maybe on the flip side it hasn't been such a bad thing mm. the other thing I was going to say was the story that's broken this morning about Simone Biles I just think Again, it's an unexpected story, isn't it, to come out of the Olympics, which, you know, um, the world's greatest gymnast and she's pulled out for, you know, wanting to protect her mental health. And, you know, for the US gymnastics team to say, we wholeheartedly support Simone's decision and applaud her bravery in prioritising her well-being. Her courage shows yet again why she's a role model for so many, you know. Tick, tick, tick. That's fantastic. It's it's amazing that she feels the freedom to be able to do that and, and supported to do that. Chris, what has been your highlight so far? Uh, watching the dressage with my nine-year-old, which is a sentence I never thought I would say. Um, <laughs> it's a bit of a curveball, that. <laughs> I wasn't yeah. expecting that either. But, 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 but you know what? In a, in a, in a sense, it epitomises what the games are, are all about, right? Which is you discover these uh, niche sports that you didn't know you could be passionate about and it's the human stories behind that uh, performance that engage you and I think that's absolutely amazing I was a bit of a skeptic if I'm honest I've been a huge Olympics fan in the past and I was a bit little worried that this one didn't have the support of the local communities and of course the lack of fans and so on 
is without a doubt a negative, but there is something about the Olympics that transcends sport and, and transcends some of the challenges that we're facing. So I have gone from a skeptic to, like all of you, I think, you know, getting up at some ungodly hour. And uh, My daughter now has said that that's what her job is going to be, that she's going to be a professional dressage. Uh, rider, which is awesome. So <laughs> start them young, Chris. She's, ne she's never actually ridden a horse, so we've got a way to go. You got, you got to start somewhere. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Amy, what about you? Have you? Do you ever got a highlight to share? Oh, see, I'm going to sound like the bar humbug now because I, I am usually absolutely obsessed with the Olympics, and I am slowly getting sucked back in. But I have found a, a bit of a slow start to it this year. I've just felt myself a bit disengaged um with it and I don't know whether that's because maybe I didn't really believe it was going to happen I think until up until even the night before I thought maybe it, it might not go ahead I don't know whether it's a hangover effect of the back of the roller coaster of the euros I think that kind of emotional you know expanse means that perhaps it's the Olympics isn't such a cultural moment for me at, at the moment as it as it normally is I, I don't know um I think actually the, the Simone Biles stuff, is, I found that really incredibly touching. Um, and I think kind of all of that, it, it's sort of somewhere for me, it feels a bit off this year. Um, having said that, the last 24 hours, I am finding myself a bit more drawn to it, watching Tom Daly get his medal, you know, and all of that is obviously just gorgeousness and we need more of it. Um, but yeah, uh, it's been a slow burn for me. I have a feeling that the Olympic bug has bitten you with Tom Daly and it'll just snowball from here. <laughs> you may be right. <laughs> I, I think you do raise an interesting point just about the burnout of, of huge sporting moments um, recently that a lot of people might be feeling. Look, I wanted to ask each of you if there was any Olympic campaigns that had stood out for you so far. Um, I, To be honest with you, I haven't really noticed that much that's really stood out for me. Um, and I don't know if that's just because I'm not looking hard enough or, or what the case might be, but you're the experts. Uh, Rachel, anything anything that stands out for you? I'm going to say the same, actually. And, and I'll probably pick up on Amy's point that there has just been a deluge, like sporting event after sporting event after sporting event. So actually to try and get some cut through at the moment, I think is really difficult. Um, so I'm going to I'm actually going to put my hands up and say, you know, I think there's there probably have been and maybe I haven't found them yet. I think also potentially I am um, so time limited that, uh, you know, when I'm choosing to engage with stuff, I'm being really selective. And it, ju it just hasn't it hasn't surfaced for me yet at all. Maybe, maybe stuff will come through the Olympics, but but um, yeah, not yet. Fair enough. Chris, any, anything caught your eye? I think one of the reasons that, that we all haven't necessarily got all the examples to our fingertips, all the restrictions that have been placed on brand and therefore the, the amount of work that they can and can't do uh, locally at the games. Very good point. Because yeah, look, Puma, our biggest client, for example, are just simply not able to send people over to uh, Tokyo in the way that they would normally have done. So my suspicion is that that is putting a bit of a natural limit on the amount of marketing activity that can take place. Um, I'll give you one highlight though, which I think is a real shining highlight, and it's actually more of a it's a Paralympian example. So I think the second superhuman spot from Channel Four is just absolutely wonderful. 
And um, the, the quote from uh, for creatives ECD, Lindsay Atkin, an, an opportunity to present Paralympians in a way that they haven't been seen before, pointing a camera at their real lives, showing the sacrifices that they all have to make. It's just a wonderful, wonderful piece of film and it works perfectly. And obviously it's a hugely emotive subject that we've all uh, you know, massively engaged with over the last uh, several Olympic cycles. So I, th I think for me, that's a shining light creatively. I agree with you on the human stories. I think they've been amazing. So, you know, Helen Glover or um, Adam Peaty and, you know, his son, George, I think those stories have really been coming out. So I think possibly we've been seeing much more of the human behind the athlete um, this Olympics than we really ever have before. Yeah, I would do, I would agree with that. And I think actually we're seeing more of the the athletes being human even at the games as well you know from Tom talking about LGBT stuff when he was collecting his award to Simone being really honest about her mental health to you know I think it was the Norwegian volleyball team who you know decided that they didn't want to wear the outfits that they were being told they had to wear because it didn't feel kind of like reflective of, of the kind of body image and equal rights that they wanted to portray and you know the same with the the German gymnastics teams wearing the unitards and I think that element of of the Olympics and and standing for more social change this year and the athletes being really open about who they are as people and their human beliefs I think is has been really powerful I think it's been really great but I do think the brands have been quiet especially outside of um kind of lead sponsor sponsor roles and I think all of that just kind of gives me this this feeling that it, the Olympics is always the right event it's just is it the right time right now I think that's that's where I'm at it's, it's a really good point and it's, it's important to note as well that some of the major sponsors, I think Toyota is one of them, but a couple of others have, have de decided to pull all their advertising in Japan out of sensitivity for the situation. So it, is, it must be an exceptionally difficult games to, to market against. Um, but um, yeah, I, I think some other really interesting points that you raised, you know, the Paralympics for me are always so inspirational. I always think of the Olympics as being very aspirational and the Paralympics are being very inspirational. Just seeing what those athletes can do. I, I've worked at both the Olympics and the Paralympics and that, that's how I felt when I, when I was um, watching both of them. Um, just one final question. I mean, I, I do love the human side and some of the interviews have been very touching and, and some of the interviews have been very raw and unguarded. I, I've been surprised actually by how how human it has been. Sometimes, you know, athletes are media trained and, and, and they know what to say. Um, it feels this is different. And I don't know if that's just, you know, COVID fatigue or, or just the, the struggles of getting here, but it, you really are starting to see that human side. Um, just before we go though, because we have to wrap up shortly, just one final question. I'm going to ask each of you this. How well do you think Team GP will go in Tokyo? Where are we? Are we fifth in the table at the moment? I think you're seventh, actually. I, I think Australia's leapfrogged you. Seventh? I like the <laughs> fact you still call us you, not us. Well done, <laughs> that's, that's, going to shape, that's going to shape my answer, Robin. We're going to finish above you. That's it. That's all, I, that's all I've got for you. <laughs> Meet the Aussies. Um, yeah, I reckon fifth, fifth or fourth. Fifth or fourth, I'm going to say. Amy, we'll give you the final word. Yeah, I think that's probably about right. Top top five, but probably not on the podium. Fantastic. Well, I'm sure Team DB will do very, very well. They're an exceptionally good Olympics team. And I'm sure you will all enjoy it, as, as will we. But that is all we have time for. Now, before I go this for this episode, I just have some personal news that you might have seen in social media. Um, this will be one of my final episodes of the Power Weekly, as I will soon move to our sister publication campaign, as its media editor but I do hope to be with you for at least one more episode before I pack up my notepad and pen 
and move on. Uh, I just want to thank our guests, Rachel, Amy, and Chris for joining our panel for this episode, and our producer, Lindsay Riley from Rethink Audio for putting it all together. If you want to read up more about what we discussed today and the latest industry news and views, please visit our New Look website, prweek.com. Thank you for listening, and until next time, goodbye. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.